Chapter 9 Steve was surprised to be invited to the king's funeral. He'd been surprised to find out that dragons even had funerals, actually. It had never occurred to him to wonder what they did with the dead they carried off after the fighting season was over. Guiltily, he wondered if maybe he hadn't wanted to think about it. Like with Naya, it was easier that way, fighting a beast instead of a person. The temple was so little used that there were traces of dust on the stone statues of the dragon guarding her eggs that took up nearly the end of the entire room. It smelled like snow and ashes, aired out so little that the scent had embedded in the flagstones. As many dragons as could crowded in, some of them crowded against the side of the walls to make room. Those that couldn't fit gathered outside, blocking the sunlight through the windows. Tony and his mother had their own place apart from the rest, near the head of the pit. Steve stayed by Tony's side, offering a subtle shoulder when he started to sag. It wasn't needed much. Tony seemed determined to become stone, his back stiff and expression tight. A few dragons stood by them, no one Steve recognized, though one had the same chest marking that Tony and the king had. The building was, so far as Steve could tell, one gigantic room with a deep pit carved in the middle where the king's body lay, stretched out as if in flight. He glittered with gold and gemstones, wearing sheaths on his claws and horns and a collar studded with rubies and even something that looked like armbands snaking along the main bone of his wings. Ten dragons that Steve assumed were priests of some sort walked around the pit, trickling in oils and flowers that were somehow still fresh with snow thick on the ground outside. They conducted the prayers in a whispered round, using a language Steve only half understood. Each one took up their own part midway through, until everyone was speaking and the cadence of the chants turned into a melody that seemed to collect inside the domed roof. When it stopped, the silence had weight, pressing down and stealing the air from the room. Tony's hand reached out and wrapped around Steve's, squeezing so tightly that his knuckles ground together and the tips of his finger sheaths dug in. Steve bit his cheek and didn't say anything. The queen stepped forward and cupped her hands, holding a dish with a small ball of purple flame. Her clothing was simple, a set of flowing white pants and tunic, her hair covered in a matching scarf. In a slow, measured pace, she carried the dish of fire over to the edge of the pit and knelt down. Her lips moved a few times, trying to force words out. When they finally came, her voice was thick and rough. With fire born and fire lived, now with fire go. Slowly she tilted the dish and the fire inside poured out as if it were a liquid, streaming down the slope of the pit. As soon as it touched the oil the priests had laid, it burst into life, surrounding the body in a crackling blaze. There was no smoke. That was what Steve would remember later. Everything burned to ash, bone and scale, and even the gold that should have melted instead. But there was no smoke. At the time, all he could think of was Tony's hand clenched around his, and the bright red blisters on the queen's palms. It barely took any time before the king's body was gone and the fire died out. Only after it had did anyone start moving, the dragons near the back rustling their wings and starting to turn. They were interrupted by a roar and that rattled Steve's eardrums. Hold! The dragon with the crest, Tony's cousin, Steve thought, lifted his wings for attention. He turned about with them still in the air, forcing the other dragons nearby to back up or be hit by them. The king is dead, and the air is patently unfit. At Steve's side, Tony went pale. 
He untangled his hand from Steve's and stepped forward. Morgan, he hissed between clenched teeth. Not now. This isn't the time. Morgan arched his neck to look down his nose at Tony. The spines along his neck rose and fell with a sound like knives on a wet stone. This is exactly the time, cousin. This is the time of war. We need a king who is strong enough to lead us into a battle against the human who did this. Does anyone here doubt that the humans are the one who killed our king? I do. Tony lifted his voice. Though he couldn't match a dragon for sheer volume, it carried well enough to be amplified by the stone dome overhead. It was a dragon that attacked my mother and disrupted the spell that was keeping my father alive. A dragon who fed poison to the goats that made his meals. No human could have done that. My father was murdered by a traitor within these walls, not by the humans. You would think so, Morgan snorted, a thin sheet of frost blanketing the floor where his breath landed. You're practically one of them, after all. He cast a sidelong look past Tony at Steve. You even lay with the filthy beasts, just like your father did. Rage tasted copper in the back of Steve's throat. He started to step forward, but an outthrust wing arm blocked his path. Don't. The huge dusky blue dragon murmured in what passed for an undertone. He didn't turn his head, but Steve could feel him watching. That's what he wants. If you interrupt, Morgan has the right to kill you. Tony won't be able to help. Steve held back an argument by biting his tongue. Of course someone with the gall to challenge Tony at his father's funeral would want Tony in that sort of position. It would have been a victory for Morgan no matter what Tony did. Tony's fists clenched at his side, claw-like sheaths sticking into his palm. He looked like he wanted nothing more than to rip into his cousin's hide. So this is a challenge? He asked voice steady. For your sake, it had better be. It is. Morgan must have realized that Steve wasn't going to give him what he wanted. His head swung back to focus his eyes on Tony. Tomorrow morning, under the official challenge laws. The announcement made a murmur run through the watching crowd. You can't do that, Tony argued. If the dome goes up, the queen won't be able to attend. She has the right. It's tradition for a throne challenge, Morgan hissed. And if a dragon could smile, he would have. Be glad. Your murdering little human paramour won't have to watch you die. Choose your second well, little cousin. The ice dragon turned and walked away. A path parted through the crowd for him. Most of the dragons present seemed in shock. At first no one moved. But then slowly the dragons near the back began to edge out in a slow trickle until the temple was empty of everyone but the blue and gold dragons that had stood by Tony. Tony's mother still hadn't risen from beside the pit. The big blue one stepped up to nudge Tony's shoulder with his nose. I'll go with... Rody, no. Tony cut him off with a raised hand. I just... let me think, okay? Rody's head dropped. He nudged Tony again more gently. Don't take too long. We'll get you through this. Then he turned and left. The little gold one gave Steve a sharp look, but didn't say anything as she followed him. Steve stepped forward, not sure what to do, but needing to do something. He wrapped Tony's hand back up in his, squeezing gently. Do you want me to go? He asked in a whisper. I, yeah. Tony wouldn't look at him. I need a few minutes with my mother, if that's okay. Just come and find me when you're ready. Steve kissed Tony's cheek before following the dragons out. Bucky waited by the door outside, knees drawn up to his chest. When Steve passed, he scrambled to his feet to follow. They didn't say anything as Steve crossed the open expanse of mountainside that separated the temple from the rest of the citadel. 
It was a difficult walk, meant for dragons more than humans. No one had bothered to smooth up the path, so he found himself having to dodge around scrub brushes and loose piles of snow that collected around slippery rocks. The sky had cleared for the funeral, the winds dying to a soft breeze and the clouds rolling back to show a clear blue dome. It would have been a cold day, but Tony's gift kept the worst of it from touching him. A few dragons had taken advantage of the break in the wind to go flying, soaring overhead in graceful arcs. Steve thought he spotted Morgan with them, paler blue than the sky and glittering like a piece of ice in the sun. So Morgan challenged the prince. Bucky's voice broke the silence as he edged around a boulder. I figured he would. Nasty piece of work. He wants to kill Tony. I could see it. Steve's jaw tightened again. Filthy beasts. If Morgan wins, he's going to use this as an excuse to raise Vita Hill. He hates humans. We have to save Tony. It took a few steps before Steve realized Bucky wasn't with him. His steps paused as he twitched. His best friend's expression was graver than usual, almost pitying. What? Steve demanded, harder than he meant to. Bucky looked at him dead on. Steve, I'm telling you this is a friend. He said slowly and clearly, I don't know what you and the prince had together, and I don't really want to, but enjoy it while you can. You think he's going to die? Steve accused. There was a lump in his chest that he refused to admit was dread. We've fought dragons before. You know it's not that simple. Holding up three fingers, Bucky ticked off each one. We have weapons made to cut through scales, armor that holds up against most things, magic if there's a mage handy. He won't. Rules of the challenge. I don't think even you could do that. The lump in Steve's chest slid down to his stomach, turning to a chunk of ice that the bracelet couldn't ease. There has to be something I can do. Sympathy softened Bucky's eyes. Remember to say goodbye. Steve waited in Tony's rooms until long past nightfall. He kept busy prowling through the scrolls and books that were scattered in them like detritus from a literary storm. Some of them were on metal crafting and some on majory, with diagrams that seemed ready to leap off the page and into life. The ones written in Azilasan were the ones he was most fascinated by. A few of them were more of the same, with charts and spells and temperatures all noted in diligently. The rest were stories. They ran the gamut from children's tales about ice dragons who'd visited the beach to what read like inscribed oral histories of Azeteriot. Some of them were so old the parchment crackled, and others looked like the ink had barely taken time to dry. Steve settled down with one of them chosen at random. It turned out to be a history of Azeteria from back before it was even a kingdom. The scroll didn't say anything like what Wanda had mentioned. At least not directly. There were gaps, though. While her vision could easily fit snugly between the lines. Why dragons decided to form a nation at all. The sudden lack of any shapes other than dragon or human. Fascinating as it was... Steve could barely concentrate. He fidgeted his way through the first half of it, until he caught himself reading the same line twice. Then he gave up and went looking for Tony. It turned out that he didn't have far to go. As soon as he stepped outside of Tony's rooms, he heard voices. Steve followed them to a window. It had been shuttered against the cold, but poorly. A little prying cracked it open, letting him lean out to see the shadow of a dragon and a human sitting in the courtyard below. They'd been there long enough that the dragon had collected snow across his shoulders. It was pure luck he'd passed the window just then. Voices carried well inside the citadel, 
but outside they might as well have been thrown into a void. If he hadn't been directly above them, he might never have heard at all. I'm not going to let you go in there alone, the dragon snarled. It sounded like the one Tony had called Rody, but with his voice rough and angry it was hard to be sure. It's a death sentence. We've gone over this. Tony's voice was quieter, for all that it was just as infuriated. Steve held his breath and strained to hear. It's a death sentence either way, and I'm not going to do that to you. After I die, it'll be two against one, and Morgan won't choose someone easy. You're good, but not that good, and injured on top of it. Claws scraped stone, a thick grinding noise that made Steve's jaw ache. If you die without a second, Morgan gets the throne for sure. He killed your father. You know he did. And you're going to let him win? He's going to win anyway. The flat certainty in Tony's voice carried even with the distance. Tony, don't make me do this. Don't. Below, the shadow of the dragon stretched his wings as Rody's voice faded away. Steve tried his best to hear, but either the wind had changed or they'd switched to whispers. Pulling away, Steve tucked the shutter back in more formally than it had been, and then touched his forehead to them. He felt like a voyeur, listening to Tony say his goodbyes. It made the whole thing seem somehow more real. Steve knew what it was like to wake up and know there was a good chance he would die that day. It was part of being a soldier, and he'd learned to accept it. But he'd never been certain, never walked in the shoes of a condemned man. Steve lingered at the window, waiting until he heard familiar footsteps coming up the stairs. Most of the palace denizens walked like they weren't entirely comfortable on two legs, and the human servants barely made any noise at all. Tony's stride was unique, and Steve wasn't disappointed when he looked up to see him rounding the corner. Tony hesitated, looking between Steve and the window. He was still dressed exactly as he had been when Steve saw him last. Dawning realization crossed his face, followed by a grim sort of acceptance. You heard me talking to Rody. Yeah, I. Searching for words, Steve couldn't find any. I'm sorry. Wasn't good enough. No, Steve. Not tonight. Exhaustion weighed him down like a cloak. Please don't say anything. No words. That actually worked when there weren't any words worth saying. Okay. He grabbed Tony's wrist and used it to reel him in, slamming him back against the wall hard enough that he let out a grunt of impact. He covered Tony's mouth with his, keeping him pinned with body and hip and arms. Height and weight were in his favor, and he used them to keep Tony trapped. They fought, pushing and pulling against one another, as Tony tried to steal control of the kiss. Tony sank his teeth into Steve's lips, hugging, and then using the opening to dive in. His hand slid down Steve's back, metal finger sheaths leaving long scratches even through the tunic. He had the advantage there, binding the hem and yanking it up to pull at Steve's underwear without a needing to pause. By comparison, Steve had to battle with laces and buttons, two shirts and a pair of trousers. All of it caught on fingers made clumsy with arousal. By the time Tony had wrapped a hand around his cock, Steve was only just finding the ties on his pants. Cursing, Steve broke the kiss and rocked his hips into the touch, his hands still entirely at Tony's pants, concentration scattering to the winds. Cheating, he growled, nipping at the soft skin under Tony's jaw. No rules, Tony shot back, twisting his wrist in a way that made Steve's heart jump. Steve abandoned the quest to free Tony's pants in favor of gripping his hips and lifting. Tony yelped and immediately clung, legs snapping around Steve's waist and arm gripping his shoulders. 
He was by no means a small man, but Steve had always been a little stronger than his frame ever seemed to suggest. Still, it was something of a struggle to keep Tony balanced against the wall, especially when his weight slipped down and their hips ground together. Tony groaned and arched into the pressure, his head leaning back against the wall, leaving a long stretch of neck bared for Steve to take advantage of. It was rough and fast and awkward. Tony's pants were soft leather, but not that soft, and Steve's grip wasn't tight enough to keep them perfectly balanced until Tony braced his palms against the window sill. They made do, hips finding a rhythm somewhere in the mess, friction turning into heat between them. Tony lost at first, shuddering and palms slipping as he came, kissing, becoming languid and easy. Steve didn't last long after that, his groan lost somewhere between their lips. He managed to put Tony on his feet instead of dropping him. Then Tony's knees gave out, and they both ended up on the floor anyway, clinging to each other in order to stay upright. We should find a bed, Tony murmured against Steve's cheek, if I... tomorrow. Twisting his head, Steve caught Tony's lips in a short kiss before he could find the rest of that sentence. Don't say anything. They spent most of the night making use of every available surface in Tony's rooms, and a few that weren't available until they cleared them. Once Steve tried to suggest that Tony rest, but the kiss that he got in reply had been so ferociously desperate that he never asked again. Nevertheless, there were too many hours in the night, and they ended up falling asleep eventually, tangled tight around each other. When Steve woke up, he was alone. Sunlight had just started to peek through the edge of the window, a deep pink blush that meant it hadn't quite passed the horizon completely. The small iron oven that kept the room warm had faded in the night. Steve stared at the shadows of the ceiling, not breathing as he listened to the deathly silence of the room. One thought twisted through his head, loud as a bell. Tony might still be alive. In a flash, he rolled from the bed, feet slapping onto the flagstone. He hesitated in front of his armor before grabbing, instead, the tunic he'd discarded the night before, and throwing it on. His sandals took a moment longer, but he knotted them messily rather than bother with proper laces. Over the top of it all, he threw on his cape, buckling the eagle pin as he ran out the door. No armor, no weapons, no magic. There was no one in the citadel at all but the human servants. Every single dragon was gone, presumably to watch Tony die. Steve grabbed the first person he saw by the shoulder. Where's the challenge happening? The servant girl tried to yank away from him, ducking down slightly. East, she babbled, twisting herself free. Out of the great hall and east, but you won't. Steve didn't pause to let her finish, just pushed right past her down the steps. He didn't slow on the turns, just bent his knees and leaned into them. Short flights of stairs he left, risking a broken neck in exchange for speed. As soon as he left the hall, he realized he hadn't even needed to ask direction. The area to the east was thick with dragons, clinging to rocky perches and circling overhead like giant vultures. The peak that the citadel took up dropped down into a sharp slope that leveled off into a barren plateau. Something glimmered over the field, a thin dome of orange. Whenever a dragon flew through it, it sparkled with golden flames, but didn't seem to do anything else. The landing courtyard was flat and clear. Steve's side ached for sprinting all the way down the stairs. He did it again anyway, staying low and skimming across the surface to the very edge of the courtyard where the ground suddenly dropped away. Steve braced himself to go over. Instead, gold sparked like fire as he hit the edge of the dome. It caught him like it was a solid thing, pushing him back and away. No! Steve pounded on it. 
fists clenched, cursing in his own language. It flexed like flesh, giving only a little before it simply solidified. A few dragons turned their heads at the noise, watching him with interest. He set his shoulders and shoved, sandaled feet digging into the flagstone. Every inch felt like victory until he reached the edge again, and the pressure became a rock. Let me in, damn you! Down below, dragons clung to the edge of the slope, nearly blocking the view, but every now and then a flash of icy breath was visible, or the small figure of Tony as he fought to buy a few more minutes of life. He was down there, alone, about to die, and Steve couldn't get to him. Please, Steve begged in a desperate whisper, slipping languages to the dragon tongue. Let me in. I can't let him do this alone. Let me in. Let me in. The rock barrier softened, more gold flaring around him. Steve pushed harder, closing his eyes to keep from being blinded by the glare of magic. It felt reluctant, a slow parting of the way, as if it weren't sure what to do with him. He kept pleading, promising any god anything, if he could just get to Tony. Steve wasn't prepared when it gave away right at the edge of the slope. The silver bracelet Tony made for him burned and sparked like a hot iron being struck. It faded just as a wall of cold air slammed into him. The warming spell completely ripped away. His feet slipped and dropped under him, tumbling him over the edge. Rocks and gravel scraped his legs and hip, gashed a cut open across his arm, until Steve managed to find an equilibrium and take control of the fall enough to minimize the damage. It slid him out to the very bottom of the incline, and the farther out into the field until his momentum was stopped by slamming into someone else. They spun together a few more times, eventually coming to rest a sprawled heap on a patch of iced over ground. Tony stared at him, fists wrapped in Steve's shirt. He pushed, forcing him off and scrambling him back. How did you... You can't be here! Go! One of Morgan's clawed feet came into view. Look, little cousin, he laughed. Maybe you're not the only one who wants to die today after all. Leaving Steve in bed had been one of the hardest things Tony had ever done. He thought it would be the kinder solution. Since Morgan had called for royal challenge laws, Steve wouldn't even be able to get down to the field to watch anyway, and expecting him to stand back outside the shield to listen for the moment Tony died would have been cruel. Tony couldn't protect his mother. She'd find a window and wait. He knew her. But he could at least make sure Steve didn't have to go through that. After the challenge at the funeral, Tony had sat with his mother for an hour, waiting for his father's ashes to cool. She never said goodbye, hadn't as long as he could remember, but the way she'd clung to him had been the next closest thing. This is my fault, she'd whispered. I thought I could make my own path, and instead I walked into thorns. She told him the entire story, the one he'd never heard before, how she'd hated Vita Hill for being nothing like her home, resented the Seven Hills for taking her away from the Temple at the Bay, how meeting and eventually running away with his father had been just the spark the army needed to take over from the priests. Of course they'd declared war, and no matter how she tried, nothing would stop it. The Maria could never leave the Seven Hills. She might as well have been dead to the people, and the army used that to steal power. Tony thought about that as he dressed. Twenty-five years of slow, crippling battle that Morgan would turn into a war of extinction. It would backfire, and horribly— but Morgan wouldn't see that until it was too late. He couldn't leave, as a Terriot was his home. Tony couldn't imagine seeking refuge in the temple by the bay, or eking out an existence in the foothills and leaving the rest of the world to collapse. There was too much at stake, even if it was a lost cause. He just didn't have it in him to abandon it. 
No one spoke to him when he walked through the halls. Servants' eyes slid right off him. Conversations choked off when he passed. Tony might as well have already been dead. Silence followed him through the landing courtyard and through the dome. It tingled over his skin, shredding the little enchantments that he kept on most of his clothing against the wear and tear. But it didn't try and stop him. He might not have been dragon enough to change shape, but he was dragon enough for the magic to recognize. Tony took his time, sliding down the slope, looking around to take everything in. Dawn hadn't quite broken yet. The sun was just far enough to make the sky a dark red. Noble dragons clustered together. Obadiah, Bethany, Rumiko, all the others. Most of them would be glad to see him dead. They'd been the loudest to complain about his mother taking a mantle they all thought should be their own. Jan and Rody had found places at the edge of the field. He tried to tell them with a glare to go away and don't watch this. The way Jan bared her teeth was enough answer to that. Perversely, he was glad when they didn't leave. It was a selfish feeling, but at least he wasn't going to be totally alone. Morgan waited in the center of the field, wings folded and quad feet tucked under him, tail twitching back and forth impatiently. You're almost late. Almost doesn't count. No, Morgan answered, dropping his head to look Tony in the eye. It doesn't. Where's your second? Tony had never really considered Morgan intimidating. Annoying, a bully, cruel, but never intimidating. By dragon standards, he was still incredibly young, at only three centuries, which meant small. Dragons never stopped growing, as long as there was food to support them. That didn't stop his shoulder from being three times Tony's height. None of it had really sank in before. But as he looked up at Morgan, Tony saw the teeth and the claws that would kill him. Nerves tied Tony's stomach in knots. He did what he usually did, blustered. Don't need one. Where's yours? Right here. One of Morgan's wings flicked behind him. Behind him was a standstone gold dragon, weighted on one side, just outside the official edge of the field. Tiberius was kind enough to come up from the borders to stand with me. Tony stared. His feet were rooted in the rock. Morgan could have had him gone in a single bite. That was fast flying. The comment was inane, but it was all he could think of to say. There hadn't been time for a messenger to get through the winter winds and return. His armor was small and slow, but it didn't have wings to wrench about to a wide profile to catch the wind. Tiberius would have had to left just after Tony, hours before his father died. Morgan's wings flexed in a draconic shrug. Humans aren't the only ones who can use magic trinkets. A lump lodged in Tony's throat, tasting of copper and bile. He swallowed it down. I didn't want to believe it was you. Didn't want to think you could do that. Tony took a step forward, forcing Morgan to stumble back in order to keep him in sight. But you did, didn't you? You went to Vita Hill and got the poison. You fed it to the goats in the royal herd. And then when Tiberius told you I was coming back, you hurried the job. I should call you out for a regicide. For being a consummate liar, Morgan had never been good at keeping a straight face. Or Tony had thought. He'd kept a straight enough one when he was poisoning Howard. Teeth bared in a snarl. Morgan whipped his head around. If any of that were true, and if you did, it would be my word against yours. We'd still be right here where we are, a few minutes away from your funeral pyre. The sun had just about cleared the horizon. Being surrounded by mountains slowed the sunrise down, but it couldn't stop it forever. As soon as it was done, Morgan could attack, and no one would call foul play. The fight would last as long as Tony's luck. 
If I'm going to die, at least I'm going to make it as hard as possible for him. You killed him! Tony pushed forward again, forcing Morgan back more, before the challenge they couldn't touch, which was the rules. He used it, backing his cousin right up to the cliff edge that marked the eastern face of the field. You killed the king. You went to Vita Hill where the poison came from. You caught the king's meals where he was sick. Murderer! Air whipped Tony's hair into his eyes as Morgan flapped his wings, fighting for balance as he balanced right on the edge of the field. The crowd of dragons started murmuring amongst themselves, shock and disbelief heavy in their voices. Even though Tony couldn't hear the individual words, it was clear they were giving the accusation some weight. Satisfaction curled into an ugly coil in Tony's chest. Morgan's rule wasn't going to be an easy one. Liar! Morgan snapped his teeth, forcing Tony to dodge. Whose word do we have the poison came from there? Yours? How do we know it wasn't one of your damned magics? I say you're the one that did it. The last pink edge of the sky vanished as the sun cleared the edge of the mountain. Morgan's flapping stilled, as if he'd realized the time, too. His chest deepened. Tony had just enough time to roll out of the way before a blast of icy breath froze the ground where he'd been standing. The terrain was rocky, littered with stones of all sizes that had crumbled down from the surrounding cliffs. Centuries of use had worn away any sign of grass or scrub, destroyed any chance of hiding. Tony made use of it as best as he could, staying constantly on the move. Morgan's attack landed just where Tony had been the second before, always a moment too late. Every breath of icy air made the ground that much more of a sheet of ice. While he still could, Tony snatched up a good-sized rock and hurled it. Morgan ducked his head, but Tony's rock still managed to strike him in the tender joint of torso and hind leg, where the scales were thin and softest. The blow won him time as Morgan winced and curled around himself, hissing in pain. Before Morgan could recover, Tony ran at him. The ice slit caught under his boots and propelled him faster, sliding him directly into his cousin's chest. One great paw swiped at him, missing by only an inch. Morgan twisted and bent, dancing in circles to snap at him, but Tony stayed too close for him to get a good bite or blast him. A few minutes bought. Up on the western slope, some sort of commotion was drawing attention. The dragons in that area were turning around to see what it was. Tony ducked under Morgan's neck flashing a quick glance that way in case it was something useful. A glimpse of bright blue tunic froze him in his tracks. It was enough. The side of Morgan's head caught him in the rib, sending him skidding across the field on a sheet of thick ice. Something else collided with him, tumbling around until he finally came to a stop. Horror cost Tony precious breaths as he looked up into Steve's face. Transfixed, it took a crack of Morgan's weight on the ice before he remembered to shove him away and scramble to his feet. How did you... You can't be here. Go. Humans weren't supposed to be able to cross the barrier. That was the whole point. Steve shouldn't even have been able to be there. He should have been safe at the top, out of the way of everything. Morgan loomed over them, wings spread. Look, little cousin. Maybe you're not the only one who wants to die today. That was an accident, Tony yelled, throwing himself between Morgan and Steve with his arms spread, as if that would do any good. You saw it. He doesn't count. I think it does. Blue Veins caught the sun as Morgan lifted his wings. Is he your missing second, or has he interfered? No. This isn't happening. This isn't happening. Tony couldn't breathe. Could barely think. If Steve had interfered, he was dead. Morgan would do it gladly, just to hurt Tony. But if he was Tony's second, no. No! You're not going to kill him! I won't let you! 
Is he your second or no? Tony wasn't going to drop it, wasn't going to give Tony even that. A strong arm wrapped around Tony from behind, forcing him back out of Morgan's range, of easy strike. I am, Steve announced. I'm his second. There was really no choice for Tony but to hit him. No! Don't you know what you're doing? What you're thinking? You're going to die! Steve wasn't fazed by the blow at all, rocking back on his heels only a little. He grabbed Tony's arms before he could do it again, shaking him hard once. The band on his wrist screamed like it had been oiled. All the careful runes and marking Tony had carved into it washed away by the dome, leaving it just a mage lock again. You didn't leave me in the woods. Tony panted, staring at Steve blankly, where his hand touched Tony's shoulders. The skin itched like he had a bad sunburn. He wanted to babble that he'd barely been able to walk, never mind leave. Wanted to say that Steve throwing his life away on Tony's lost cause was hardly a fair trade. Needed to beg Steve not to do this to him. The words locked in his throat, trapped by a thick smell of spices and a scent he'd lived with all his life that had never been on Steve. You smell like dragon, he whispered. Touching as this is, the shadow over them moved. It was the only warning they got before his teeth closed. Steve's reflexes were miles ahead of Tony's, grabbing him up and yanking them both out of the way. Morgan didn't seem put out by that at all. He flexed his neck and tail, clearly enjoying playing with them. Since your second has taken the field with you, mine gets to as well. Tiberius! There came the sound of rock giving away as Tiberius leapt up into the sky. Tony didn't wait to see where he was going. He grabbed Steve's hand and ran, dodging around the frozen block of boulder. Just before an ice blast formed above, shattering into shrapnel, Morgan threw himself into their path with a roar, making them skid and slide in their hurry to change direction. They couldn't run forever. Tiberius and Morgan weren't even trying to hide that they were just playing with them. It was a game to them, tormenting their food until they got bored enough to end it. And another smack from Morgan's head hit him in the side. Steve crawled around Tony like a human shield as they went rolling over rocks and ice, strong and perfect, heartbeats thudding against Tony's shoulder blade. He was going to die. Steve was going to die. No. Tony's claws dug into ice, digging channels through it as they came into a sudden stop. His skin tightened and itched. He could smell Steve, thick as bedsheets, and could feel him at the back, more real than any human had ever been. It wasn't going to happen that way. Tony wasn't going to cost Steve his life. Not like this. Not ever. Morgan staggered backward as Tony looked up and up and up. His bones turned to liquid, melting down to reform into something stronger. Fire burned in his chest and belly, a tickle of heat and promise and destruction. Black blue scales turned sapphire, where the sun caught them, glittering the same color as his mother's eyes. Steve was still at his back, clinging to the base of his neck with both hands and knees. Tony spread his wings and lowered his head, hissing at Morgan and Tiberius. They were smaller now, still bigger than him, especially Tiberius, but not by much. Steve! His voice sounded strange in his own ears, thicker as if it were coming from a long way. Are you okay? I'm fine. I'm— Oh, gods! You're a dragon! Oh, gods! The weight on his shoulder shifted lower, grip tightening. Tony, move! Steve's voice connected to Tony's back legs and wings without consulting his conscious mind. He leapt into the air, just as Tiberius and Morgan rushed at him. One of Tiberius's horns scraped his foot, but by then he had enough altitude to escape anything worse. They scrambled to find traction, wings pumping furiously. 
Up between Tony's shoulders, Steve had found the solid place just in front of his wings to cling to. Stay above them. Their necks are vulnerable from behind. He yelled against the wind as Morgan finally managed to lumber into the air. Flying without the armor was different. Harder physically, but easier to maneuver. Tony's chest and back were already feeling the strain, but the wind made up for it. It caught his wings, caressing them, lifting him up when he tilted them and caught it just right. He twisted in the air, circling over Tiberius' muscular shape. He was, he was the real threat. He was bigger, a soldier, in shape and used to fighting. Morgan was still struggling with the winds. He didn't know them the way Tony did. When winter came, he usually found a snowbank to wait it out in. Morgan struck up from below, clawing through the air. Tony let him come, waiting until the last second to dodge with an easy side slip. T Steve's weight stayed steady on his back as he folded his wings and dived. Tiberius screamed when Tony's cause slashed through delicate wing membrane. His weight forced them to drop like a stone. Tony's claws dug deep into Tiberius' side and haunches. Tony put his teeth to work with them, doing as much damage to the exposed muscle and joints as he could before the ground washed up on them, copper blood coating his tongue like honey. He let go at the last second, using Tiberius' back as a springboard to catch the wind again. Tiberius crashed into the ground with a snap of thick bones breaking. He rolled to the edge of the field, where he stayed curled into a protective ball, keening with pain. Wings beat slowly as Tony forced himself to find lift again. Muscles were starting to scream in protest. He'd never flown before. First flights were usually when a kit was much, much smaller, and weren't in the middle of a fight. He couldn't feel his wing joints through the pain. Still, he forced himself to keep flying, craning his head to look for Morgan. It was the shadow that gave him away again. The sun darkened as Morgan stole Tony's trick, dropping down from above. Instinctively, Tony twisted on his back, catching Morgan's claws with his own and locking them together. They circled and snapped at each other, ice and fire meeting at the edges in little explosive bursts that singed the edges of their scales. Steve slipped off Tony's shoulder and dropped down to his foreleg. Wind tugged at his tunic and cape, ripping the ladder off when his clasp finally gave way. Tony watched him with the corner of his focus, doing his best to make sure Steve wasn't caught by any of the blasts. Morgan seemed to recognize Steve as the weak point. He turned his head, snapping at Steve, forcing Steve to scramble back on Tony's shoulder. A snap from Tony distracted him, but only for a second. He kept aiming for Steve, biting at his legs, letting off little shots of freezing cold that only barely missed. Their wrestling was dipping them lower and lower, height impossible to keep up the way they were. Every dip and twist Tony had to execute jostled Steve more. In one sharp move, his feet slipped off Tony's front leg until he was left dangling by only his arms. Tony felt it when Steve's weight started to swing, a faint shift in balance that pulled him back and forth, once before his feet came up and his arms let go. Both heels caught Morgan square in the throat just as he pulled it back to let loose an icy attack. Morgan choked and screamed, a broken wet sound like meat tearing. His attack turned to panic flailing as he fought to free himself from Tony's claws only to tangle them more. Steve fell. Tony didn't even think. He curled himself into a ball and kicked, yanking free of Morgan with a wet crack of cartilage, wings tucked in tight against his back. He made himself as small as possible against the wind and let his weight do the rest. Wind blurred his vision until he remembered to close the second lid. It shaded everything in a delicate tint of blue as the ground rushed closer and closer. His forearms wrapped around Steve, tucking him in against his chest and snapping his wings out. The wind wrenched them back, 
joints and bones popping like little shots of fire. It took everything he had to force them to turn, catching the wind and soaring back up. Morgan tumbled past, landing heavily enough that it dug a trench in the ice. Blood stained his pale scales pink as he coughed and clawed at his throat, wheezing for air. As carefully as he could manage, Tony glided down, staggering to an awkward landing to avoid using his forearms. Against his chest, Steve was a steady, comforting burden, his cheek pressed against the heart of his crest. "'Do you yield?' Tony demanded tiredly. Every part of him ached. If Morgan wanted to continue the fight, he wasn't sure he'd be able to without killing himself in the process. Luckily, Morgan nodded, head bowing and white wings drawing up over his head protectively. Dragons roared from the sidelines of the challenge field, wings and heads lifting in a rainbow of color. Healers rushed the field, collecting Tiberius and Morgan in the middle of little knots of busyness as they were hurried off. Overhead, the slim barrier of orange faded away to a golden shimmer, and then nothing as the challenge was ended. Dropping to his forelegs, Tony somehow managed to put Steve down before his weight gave way and he collapsed. Then the world warped around him. Suddenly he was smaller, curled up on the ice and shivering. He stayed awake long enough to feel the solid heat of Steve wrap around him. And then, nothing. Tony drifted in and out of consciousness for what might have been hours or days. His arms and chest burned like fire. Shoulders felt like they'd been cracked with a sledge. Voices murmured in the background, faint whispers that he could only strain to hear before sleep claimed him again. The only constant through it was Steve. Steve's voice, Steve's smell, Steve's touch. Somewhere in the room, every time he woke, Steve was there. When he finally woke up definitively, it was early evening. The moon peeked through eastern windows, thin streams of silver light that danced across the flagstones. Steve was a solid presence at his back. Legs tangled together and arms wrapped around his waist. Tentatively, Tony stretched, then hissed when old aches made themselves known. It wasn't the impossible searing agony had been before, but it still hurt. Steve's arms tightened around him, pressing into surprisingly sore stomach muscles. Don't move. Let me get you the medicine the healers left first, okay? Blankets rustled, and suddenly Steve's warm presence was replaced by a wash of cold air. In spite of his stiffness, Tony twisted enough to yank the gap in the covers shut. If by healers you mean Jan, I'll pass. Her bruise worked to ease pain, that was sure, but they also worked to ease verticality and sobriety. Tony didn't particularly want to be knocked into a drunken stupor when he just managed to climb out of a different sort of one. How long was I out? Only a few days. Steve Back was turned at a table. Tony didn't even remember seeing in his room before. It was littered with pots and cups little rolls of bandages, and things that smelled like a bastardization of pine and mint. Your shoulders were popped out of place. The healers thought it would be better if you stayed out of it while they healed. Oh. Just to make sure he could, Tony forced himself upright as far as he could, leaning back against a pillow. As he expected, his shoulders rebelled, but they were given back up from every single muscle and bone from his neck to his hips. Even his hair hurt, and the worst of the fight had taken place when he didn't even have hair. Morgan and Tiberius? Metal clinked against porcelain, and Steve turned back with a steaming cup of... something. When he held it under Tony's nose, it smelled like mint and willow, with a faint touch of something spicy. He eyed it suspiciously, but Steve's expression was resolute. Hoping that it wouldn't knock him out again, Tony swigged it down in a few gulps. It burned down his throat and immediately went to his aches, 
melting away the worst of them. There wasn't any accompanying wooziness or urge to seek a pillow, though, so it probably wasn't Jan's. When the cup was empty, Tony looked up at Steve. Morgan and Tiberius, he repeated. Did they die? Steve sat on the edge of the bed. The slight shift in weight jostled Tony, but the pain wasn't as terrible as it had been. They're alive. Tony waited for more, but nothing came. After a minute, he leaned over to nudge Steve's side. And? It didn't seem like Steve would answer at first. He bowed his head, shoulders and neck tense. And they'll recover mostly, he said finally. Tiberius isn't going to fly again. One day Morgan might be able to use his ice, maybe. Guilt nodded Tony's stomach, making the tea churn. He didn't even understand it. They'd been in the field. They knew the risks. Morgan had killed his father, and if Tiberius hadn't been directly involved, he'd at least been willing to help. Morgan would have to be exiled when he was healed. Maybe Tiberius, too, if he'd known about the poison. There hadn't been a challenge fight for the throne in centuries, and never had been one where the challenger survived. It was all uncharted territory. Tony would have to make it up as he went along. Everyone says that you should have killed them. Steve's voice made Tony flinch. He curled up on his knees and leaned forward to grab them, ignoring the way his back protested the position. Muscles trembled from the strain, but he wanted to sit up, not to be half-collapsed like a complete invalid. I know. My father would have. His father, who was dead, ashes already scattered in the mountains. There wasn't any grief, which worried Tony. He hadn't had time to grieve after the funeral. But there was time now, and it would come. A major pillar of his life had been removed, and all Tony could think was, he's probably glad he died before he had to be proud of me. A warm, wide palm pressed into the small of his back. Maybe you should have, maybe not. But they're alive now, and there's no use thinking about it. I could have them executed. Saying it aloud didn't make it sound better, didn't make it sound real. If Tiberius couldn't fly, execution might be kinder than exile, and Morgan would be dangerous if he could go free. There were dragon clans in the north, old dragons who never came together well enough to make a kingdom, who hated humans as much as Morgan did. It was a risk letting them live. Most people would for regicide. Steve's voice was even. Tony closed his eyes and sagged forward. I couldn't. Fine king I'm going to be. Executions didn't happen in Azeteriot. Usually if something was that serious, it ended up in the challenge field anyway. In a fight, if they'd gotten back up and kept attacking, Tony might have been able to do it. But the thought of deliberately and coldly taking them there to die made him sick. They'd killed his father, and he couldn't even bring himself to execute them for it. The hand at his back slid around, and Tony found himself pulled up against Steve's side. The metal band of his bracelet was a sharp bite of cold against Tony's ribs. His head fit in the crook of Steve's shoulder, and it wasn't the most comfortable way to sit. Tony didn't care. "'You smell like dragon,' he whispered through a tight throat. It was a small detail, but Tony needed something small to focus on. Anything other than what to do with Morgan and Tiberius. Yeah. Steve laughed quietly. Your mother tried to explain that. I couldn't really follow anything she said. It's probably this. Tony tapped Steve's bracelet. He couldn't feel any spells on it, not even a lingering trace of them. Rules of an official challenge. No human, no magic. No telling what this thing's doing to you right now. Probably not dangerous. Steve got through the barrier. That meant something. Tony wasn't sure what, but something. 
There was probably a scroll somewhere that would tell him about people like Steve. Wanda seemed to know a lot. If he had to, he could ask her. They still had to pay her back for the information she'd already given them. You'll figure it out later. Sleep now. Their weight moved, and Steve slowly laid them back to the bed. Tony fought it, but Steve's arm was like iron, and once they were laying down, he didn't have the strength to sit up again on his own. I don't want to sleep, Tony protested, even as he turned to bury himself against Steve's side. Maybe there had been something in the tea. He'd been fine sitting up, but as soon as he settled against Steve, his head filled with sand and his eyelids drooped. There's things I should be doing. He should see his mother for one. She was still dealing with being widowed. See about the state of things in the Citadel. Find out about the treaty from Steve's friends. Talk to Morgan to find out the extent of his treason. Sleep was suddenly immensely appealing. All of which you can do tomorrow. Warm wool blankets were tugged over his shoulder and pinned in place with Steve's arm. Rest. Grumbling, Tony turned his face into Steve's chest and huffed. Human tyrant. He thought he felt Steve laugh in a soft jump of muscle. I know, 